What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC News. I have on the line our resident NBA analyst and the current general manager of Team 23, as seen on the tournament on ESPN and other sports platforms, Michael Iliano. Mike, how's it going, man? Good. How you doing? Doing all right, man. It's hard to believe that we're now in the first weekend of December 2016, man. This This year is just... Flown by, and what a crazy year between, obviously, everything that happened in politics, between all the unfortunate and timely deaths of uh, people in entertainment, and between Cleveland breaking the curse, between Chicago breaking the curse, and, man, it, it, it's, it ain't slowing down. Yeah, if, if, it feels like Armageddon's right around the corner, but some of these teams breaking their curses. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Now, there's a lot to talk about. As far as the NBA front, we'll definitely talk about what you've been doing in the offseason of TBT. But let's start with the big story in the NBA. The defending champion Cleveland Cavaliers are currently sitting atop the Eastern Conference, but they have lost not one, not two, but three straight games, which led LeBron James to say that the Cavaliers must move past the honeymoon stage. And Mike, you and I have been following basketball for a long time. We've seen certain teams where they get an improbable win. They're in that honeymoon stage, and then, well, things go downhill pretty fast. Most notably to me, as far as I can recall, the 2006 Miami Heat when they came back the next year, as well as the 2011 Mavericks who never seemed to stop celebrating. Mike, what is your assessment of the current 2016-17 Cleveland Cavs? I wish the audio could see me see roll my eyes right now because – I stand by what I said the last time we did a podcast. This is a four-team league. And if you think that you can panic about the Cavs in December, you're crazy. (laughs) I mean, the Cavs aren't panicking. Nobody should be panicking. If If they lose another five in a row, they shouldn't be panicking. It's the regular season, and they're far superior than everybody in the conference. I mean, pencil the final sparring an injury. So, you know, what am I to make to us? All right, they, they're not a 65-win team. So they're a 55-60-win team like they were last year when they won it. So, you know, I, I don't make anything of it, to be honest with you. And going down the rest of the standings right now, if the, if the playoffs ended today, I mean, Raptors are a nice team. They could probably make the conference finals again. But, you know, are they going to pose a serious threat to the Cavs? I mean, not really, as you pointed out in the last podcast. No. I mean, those games that they lost against the Cavs in, in the conference finals, they lost pretty badly. The Chicago Bulls, eh, you know, they're they're doing okay, yeah. all things considered, but they're not exactly a, a young team. Uh, yeah, you have the Celtics, well, you know, who are who, are, who you, you can make the argument, you know, definitely have some potential, but are, are missing maybe that like alpha dog. I mean, you have the Hornets who are doing okay, the Bucks, uh, the Knicks who are enigma. The Pistons. I mean, there's no no team on here that scares me. Is there any team, any team, Mike, that would scare you in a seven game series if you were the Cavs? In the in the East? Yes. No, <laughs> like not really. I mean, I I'm a Bulls fan, and best case scenario for a Bulls fan is you get to the conference finals, you win a couple of games against Cleveland, and you go home and you had a successful season. I. I don't think they should be scared of anybody but themselves. So you think if they're going to lose a series, it's going to be mainly on them, not because the other team was necessarily better. It's going to be stupid things like, say, J.R. Smith. 
In the Eastern Conference, yes. Mm-hmm. In the West, they might just lose because the team is just better than them. All right. All right. Fair enough. Now, let's go to the West here. And we were going to get to some listener questions later in the show, but I feel like this question right here from Scott Anderson is a really good one, and it fits into our topics of conversation here. He wanted to ask you, Mike, why do you feel like in the last 15, 16 years in the post-Jordan-era NBA that the West has been so dominant despite the fact that the East obviously has major markets like New York, Boston, Philly, etc.? Ah, you know, that's a great question. If you see Scott tell him, it's a great question. I think it's it's a multi-layered question. For one, the West has actually been dominant during the Jordan era, too. It just so happens that the Bulls were winning championships. But overall, during the 90s, when you had the Jazz, the Spurs, the Sonics, you know, the, the Rockets, the Suns, the West was the stronger conference. So essentially, it's been like 30 years. Uh I tend to think that weather does play a part in it. You know, if you're going to get paid money and do you want to live in a cold place? Do you want to live in a warm place? You know, the, the players start thinking about the lifestyle that they, that they want to choose. Uh, I also think drafting, you know, certain teams like, like the Thunder were very fortunate to get James Harden and Duran and, and Westbrook during that stretch. So, you know, that, that could happen to an Eastern Conference team very easily. It, it, it just uh, a whole bunch of circumstances lie in it. You know, I also think as far as the Knicks go, they're not run properly from upper management. So <laughs> that's a big reason why free agents keep turning down the Knicks. It just... It's just a powder keg of a whole bunch of different things. Oh, come on, Mike. You don't know anybody that would love to play in the triangle in 2016? <sighs> hey, I'm the biggest proponent of the triangle, but I hate to break this to people. The triangle doesn't work anymore because you just don't have dominant post presence. The game is more stretched out. you got to be able to put up 23s a game now. <laughs> I don't know. I... <laughs> I think guys want to play in a more free reign system. Gotcha. Now I'm looking at some of these teams in the West. Obviously, the Warriors have the top record. The Spurs and Clippers not too far behind. Do you see any team from four through eight? Maybe one that's currently kind of on the bubble of getting that eight seed. Do you see any of those teams posing a serious threat to Golden State, San Antonio, and LA? Mm, no. You know, I I think, you know, you've asked this question now, like two straight podcasts. I think the same thing with the Eastern Conference question. Instead of posing it that way, you just have to pose, do I like what I see from certain teams? Sure. Like, I I like what I see from the Jazz, considering Derek Favors can never get on the floor. You know, I I like what I see from the Rockets, which is like, that doesn't come out of my mouth a lot. I mean... There's teams that are good, but as far as challenging those three, again, it's part of that fantasy that we're selling ourselves on. You know, those three in the Cavs are just, they're in another league, and everyone else is a league below. Now, while the Lakers haven't looked exactly spectacular, at 10 and 11, they've certainly looked better 
than I think a lot of people expected him to be at this point. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the job that Luke Walton has done so far? Oh, yeah. I I actually have been watching them a lot on League Pass. Uh, Wednesday night, they went into sh- Chicago and won. They were a big underdog in that game. They were like an 11-point underdog. They just won the game outright. You can tell that they're young. They play with a lot of energy. It's really good for the NBA when the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Celtics are competitive. Regardless of how you feel about those teams, it's a very good thing when those things are when those teams are competitive. Uh, I, I like what I see out of the Lakers' depth. I think there's a lot of guys like Larry Nance that don't get enough credit for the job that they're doing. I mean, his, his father was a hell of a player. Uh, I don't think they'll make the playoffs, though. I think that they're going to hit a rough patch as the grind of the season takes place and some veteran team, you know, someone more seasoned, like, like Portland right now, they're, you know, they're playing 500 ball. They'll find a way to win three, four in a row and probably take the spot from them. Now there's a few teams that are, that are under 500 right now. We mentioned the Lakers, but they're, you know, they're, they're on that bubble uh, of 500. They're, they're a fun, fun team to watch, but you look at teams all throughout the league, Atlanta, Indiana, Orlando, Miami, Denver, just to name a few, that all have talented players, but for whatever reason, things are just not working. you got the Dallas Mavericks, who I believe are dead last in, in the NBA. Uh, is there any one of these teams I just mentioned that are, or that are at the bottom of the standings that you're looking at and can't wonder why they're not better? Uh, you know, someone's got to be at the bottom of the standings. And even though it's a four-team league, the other 26 teams, for the most part, you could lose to anyone on any night. Uh, the Hawks, the Hawks surprised me a little because they started the season seven and two or eight and two and Millsap just got hurt recently and they just look awful. I think they were losing to the, the Raptors when I got on to the podcast here and they got swept in a road trip. They surprised me a little because Mike Boonhoser is such a good coach. I'm curious how long this will last. Uh, you know, I know Charles Barkley surprised about the Wizards. I'm not. If you watch the Wizards play, they are really sloppy. Uh, a little surprised in Minnesota. It was like everyone's sexy. I can't imagine how frustrating that is for Tom Thibodeau to have a team that's 5-12. and 12. You know, he's not used to that sort of losing. I mean, he must be driving himself crazy. I mean, there's some surprises. I'm not really surprised about Miami and where they are. Uh, I'm actually someone I'm very pleasantly surprised is, is the Bucks, and that's because of Giannis. And if you haven't watched Giannis this year, he's like one step below where Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler and LeBron James and those top flight guys are. He's he's 21. He'll be 22 in like three days. He's phenomenal. I mean, I think he's averaging 22, eight, and six so far this year. And that team has no point guard. They lost Chris Middleton for the season. It's basically him, Jabari Parker, and a bunch of role players. And they've been good. Uh, the Pistons, shout out to the Pistons. They've held it down without Reggie Jackson, which is a surprise. I think they're 11-10. and 10. They've blown out like their last three games. It wouldn't shock me if by the end of the year they won 45, 47 games. 
Now, there's a lot of trade rumors, and it feels like there's been trade rumors around this guy for three, four seasons now. DeMarcus Cousins, a guy who I look at, who is flamboyant, who is very talented. His numbers look good, but he's been known to be a, a coach killer, a guy that's kind of kind of an enigma. I mean, you see that size, you see that talent, and for whatever reason, you know, it just ha- hasn't equaled wins. Now, now, granted, he plays for an organization that is horrendously run over the last decade with numerous owners. Could you see DeMarcus Cousins going somewhere else and finally living up to his potential? Not in terms of stats, but in terms of actually positively impacting a team. Mm. I know the Celtics really want him. I, I just don't know how he would fit there. The, the Celtics' speed is one of their benefits. And they do need to get bigger. The Celtics have a lot of issues on the boards, which is why they're not the team people think they are. I don't know. I mean, I have such mixed feelings about DeMarcus. I'll I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, Leon Wood, he's an NBA official. He he came and he was helping us do workouts with Team 23. And, you know, me, I like to pick, pick referees' brains. So I was asking him, I'm like, who's the toughest guy in the NBA to officiate? And, you know, obviously, his, the first thing out of his mouth was Westbrook. But then he said, you'd be surprised how hard it is to officiate DeMarcus Cousins because he's so strong and he's so gifted that, you know, his talent, he, he is a superior talent. If he has the right coach, someone that, you know, has the ability to see what DeMarcus's greatness is, I think he could do well. But if I'm a team, would I gamble on him? I don't know. That's a huge gamble. Well, you mentioned Coach, and last time I checked, he seemed to respond pretty well to Mike Malone, and the Kings unceremoniously dumped him, at least I think pretty early. And it's been downhill once again ever since. Well, you know... I don't know how much success the the Kings really had with Mike Malone. I think that's kind of a farce. I mean, it's no different than what they're doing with Dave Yeager right now. I I mean, if if George Carl, who's been in this league for how many years, 30-some years, if someone that seasoned can't get through to him, then, you know, what, what are you supposed to do? You're just supposed to find a coach? based off what DeMarcus Cousins is and then hope the Kings are a couple of games over 500. When you're that talented, I don't want to waste my time with a team that's four games under 500. But that's me. I think differently as a GM. Now, this topic has been beaten to death on every major network, every publication. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. We already talked about Russell Westbrook and the OKC Thunder's chances you think at best they may make the second round of the the finals or excuse me, the you know the Western Conference Western Conference semis. I, I could see them going there as well, but you know with the with the pace obviously he's keeping up with and the lack of help that he has, it, it obviously makes things complicated. He doesn't have Durant. He certainly does not have Harden. He, he doesn't have Ibaka anymore. Uh, he's a fun player to watch though, and he's a guy that could very well, perhaps, perhaps average a triple double I mean and finish the season averaging a triple double if say Westbrook and his team end up I don't know say 
the fifth seed, the fourth seed, dare I say maybe even the sixth seed, could you still legitimately make a case for him as the MVP of the league? Oh, good question. Uh, yes, just because those numbers are so astronomical in a historical context that if they can produce 45, 50 wins, he's absolutely in that case. In fact, I'll say something that may shock you even more. The Rockets right now are 13 and 7. And you know, I'm not a big James Harden guy. I do feel it's the perfect match with him and D'Antoni, though. If the Rockets have a successful season and they've looked pretty good in some of these games and they turn around and they win 55 games, he leads the league in assists, he's second in scoring. I may lean toward giving James Harden the MVP before I would give it to Westbrook. Wow, and that's and that's a big statement coming yeah. from you who's not a big James Harden fan historically. Well, if you're going to give Steve Nash the MVP twice and no one, you know, before the Phoenix people attacked me, no one's saying he didn't deserve it. If you're going to give him the MVP for Mike D'Antoni's system and 55-60 wins, why wouldn't you give James Harden the MVP for the same reason? Yeah, that, that, that's true. That That is true. So, I mean, you got, you got West. So, Westbrook, let's just say if he averages a triple-double, you could definitely see him winning MVP no matter where his team ends up, assuming they still end up with a playoff spot. You said you would vote for James Harden if he continues to produce like he's doing right now and they get 50-55 wins in, in the West. Is there anybody else besides James Harden that you'd say might be a dark horse contender for MVP? Well, just bear in mind, we're just talking about the award. We're not talking about who's a better player. <laughs> right. Who's more valuable, to, to, their, who's more, who's more valuable yeah. to their team? Because I think if you took Russell Westbrook out or James Harden out, uh, those teams wouldn't be very good. Uh, I think Kawhi Leonard should always be in the MVP discussion. I think LeBron James should always be in the MVP discussion. Uh, you know, there's a lot of second tier guys that are having decent seasons. You know, I, if, if the bulls, the bulls need so much to go their way, that Jimmy been really well. But I don't know if he's in the tier of the season that those other guys are having. You mentioned you mentioned Jimmy so, Butler. You broke up there, but you mentioned Jimmy Butler. Oh yeah, I, I was saying I don't get Jim. Uh, the Bulls need to have a lot of things go their way for Jimmy Butler to be considered the MVP. But he's had a phenomenal season so far. So you so you'd say LeBron obviously always in consideration. Kawhi always in consideration. I feel like even with Kawhi though. Even even if the Spurs finish like number two or, or number one, I, I feel like he's kind of that, you know, such a low key superstar. You know, a, a lot more low key than even like a Tim Duncan. That that he would not get the love that he might deserve. Well, is the MVP a popularity contest or is it a basketball contest? <laughs> Sometimes you know, he, a little bit of both. He plays. Well, not not saying know. it's fair. He, he, not saying it's fair. I'm just saying like you know he's he's not exactly you know out there. If. The Spurs, at times, if you watch the Spurs, they do it with Patty Mills sometimes. You know, they play Gasol limited minutes. They barely play Parker. They barely play Ginobili. And I think they're like 11-0 and on the road. They're like 16-4. and You really have to wonder just how good Kawhi Leonard is. I heard a stat about him that blew me away recently, that he's the only active player in the NBA to have more steals 
than turnovers in his career. Wow. Dude, and, and, he, and he's still so young. I mean, how, how old is this guy? 25, not even? Yeah, yeah. Let me, it's let me the look. same thing with the... I'm sorry, go ahead. It's the same thing with the, uh, Giannis in, in Milwaukee. I mean, you're just seeing how good these guys are right now, even though they've been in the league a couple of years. Yeah, he is 25 years old, going on uh, 26 in on June 29th. Wow, yeah. And here's a guy that's already won a championship, already led, led a team to uh, help lead a team to a couple finals, finals MVP, one of the best players already in the league. Yeah, he's and, and I, I think that the the reason that that he's criticized sometimes by people for not putting himself out there more, maybe being more marketable, whatever. I think actually works to his benefit because he seems like a guy that doesn't get lost in terms of you know the fame, the money, all that. He seems I, I don't know the guy. I don't know if you know anybody that knows the guy, but he seems. But- very grounded, and I think for certain guys, that's, that's good to have on your team. It keeps puts guys in perspective of, of the main goal. Yeah, he he's a great player. I, I, I would take him any day of the week. I wish the NBA had three more guys just like him. Now, he let's get to some questions here that, that were also submitted, not just by my man Scott Anderson. I know he had a, a few, but we'll, we'll get to a, a few more for some other people. Shout out to Scott, though. I will I will tell him. Your praise of his question. All right, this one's from our buddy Alan Wu, who occasionally contributes to TSC. Mike, in the next five years, could you see the NBA finally returning to Seattle, or, or could you see the NBA taking a turn somewhere to the NHL and potentially the NFL and have a franchise in the brand-new T-Mobile <laughs> Arena in Las Vegas? Ooh, another good question, Alan. Uh I think NBA expansion is inevitable. You can bank on that. Uh, The new TV deal has given the NBA so much excess revenue. I mean, that's why you're seeing guys like Alan Crabb get $70 million, which is disgusting. But just think about what the TV revenue is, if that's what they're getting. Uh, I think out of loyalty, the NBA will go back to Seattle first. It also wouldn't shock me if you saw a team in Louisville, I've heard this discussion or somewhere in Kentucky, as far as Vegas, Vegas is an interesting question because I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas and you've ever bet on sports games, but most sports books, they don't take bets on the Boston Celtics because the owner of the Celtics owns the majority of these casinos in Vegas. So if you go to Vegas and you try to bet on, on the Celtics, some casinos won't take the bet. So I'm curious, how does that work if you have like a Las Vegas team? Because regardless of what anybody thinks, a big part of sports is gambling. And I'm curious about how that's going to work. And I, I was even curious about how it would work for the Raiders. You know, what if they decided Vegas to not take bets on the Raiders? and then the Raiders made the playoffs if they were to move there. What, you're not going to take bets on NFL games? That's crazy. So, I, you know, Vegas, to me, it'll always be one of those things that until it happens, I don't believe it. But as far as Seattle and other places, I think that's an inevitability at this point. Wow. So, by the way, do you play uh, NBA 2K17? Oh, yeah, I think it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I've not gotten into it as much as I, I thought I would. You know, I, I was really excited for it. I really liked NBA 2K16. I, I feel like I liked it more yeah. than a lot of others. And I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it's the sameness uh, of it. Maybe it's in my career that, that hasn't really pulled me in. I know, I'm not a fan of not being able to skip the cutscenes. I think that's stupid. I think you should be able to just skip it right away. Uh, but, yeah, some something's been missing. And, I, and as somebody that not only covers sports, but as you know, runs a video game channel, cheap plug, TSC Gaming, YouTube.com slash TSC Gaming, uh, what is your assessment, now playing for a few months, of NBA 2K17? I'm still playing 16. I think 16, I agree with you. We're on the same page. I think 16 is far better. Uh, you know, one of my gripes with 17 is that it's blocky. I, I can't explain it. Like the, the player movements, like if a guy bumps you, it's almost like it feels archaic that you don't have as much free movement as you did in 2K16. And I think that kills the flow of offenses. It, it, just, it just doesn't feel right when you play it to me. Yeah, it's, it's weird. When I first played it for the initial 10 or so hours that, that I reviewed the game, I really did like it. I'm like, all right, this is cool. And I think, I don't know, part of me still had that goodwill from NBA 2K16, but I mean, after I reviewed it, I just didn't really find myself playing it a whole lot. I do like the fact that you can create your own franchise and expand the league to, to two other teams, which is actually why I was originally going to bring up NBA 2K17, because you mentioned that you could see the NBA actually expanding rather than a team like, say, I don't know, I'm just throwing out a name, Bucks, for example, relo- relocating. So if the NBA is going to return to Seattle and, say, go to Vegas or Louisville, you see the NBA actually expanding two more teams as opposed to relocating two teams, correct? Yes. I actually had an idea of something that I think would make the NBA way more exciting, especially now that it's become a top-heavy four-team league. I was... I mentioned to a friend recently, I said, what if the NBA kind of took a block of about eight regular season games and they did mini tournaments during the year, all right? And based on wherever your record was at the time, you that's where you're seated in this tournament. And they're just one game single eliminations. They even, you know, give out like like a trophy or a banner. Or like you could give them a reason for meaning in inside the regular season. It kind of like college basketball. It's like you're playing in like the Maui Classic, you know, or you know, the Great Alaskan Shootout. And essentially, you're opening the door now to have you know Cleveland and the Warriors a third time in the regular season, you know. And I think that. Just knowing that the game is part of a tournament psychologically gives the game more juice than knowing it's some random game in January on TNT. Right. And actually, I do like that idea a lot. And I also think, too, that there, there, there is another league that I feel like, and I know this isn't basketball related, but I do feel like there's another league that actually took a step in the right direction. This will relate to a question that somebody else asked. How happy are you now that the MLB All-Star Game no longer decides who has home field advantage in the World Series. Oh, I think it's, I, it's the best change they could have made. I think there was some stat that the AL has won it 8 out of 11 years, and every one of those years they won the World Series. It, it, it was something to that effect. 
I mean, ask yourself this question. Imagine if the Cubs lost game seven and then they made that change. There would think be a, about how that affected the Cubs. There would be a lot of angry Chicago fans, that's for sure. And this actually relates to a uh, question from Yusuf asking, Mike, how do you think the NBA could tweak the All-Star game to make it more appealing? <laughs> tweak? I want them to take it away at this point. <laughs> Does it? Uh, I don't know. I think the All-Star game in the NBA has lost all meaning. I mean, nobody cares. The games are ended up like 170 to 160. It's basically a layup drill. I don't know. That's something I'd almost have to sit down with a team of 10 people to think about. But it might be time to consider just doing away with it. Well, TBT has a lot of standout players. Could you see the tournament down the road maybe having some type of all-star game? Oh, absolutely. The, the tournament, the ideas that they bounce around, some of the things that, that I hear, they're like kids in a candy store. I mean, there are some things. We, we had a conference call this weekend. I'm not going to say on air some of the things that I heard, but some of their ideas are just phenomenal. I mean – they're so far ahead of the curve. Uh, all I can say is keep your eye on the TBT in the next five years. Well, that that's a nice teaser. Well, well, Mike, we really do appreciate the time before we let you go. I know you don't do a whole lot of social media and everything, but can you tell fans anything else that's going on with you, Team 23, TBT, and where they can find you guys online? Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. I mean... You can, you can find Team 23 on, on Twitter. Uh, my advice is follow us come March and April. There will be a chance to win a lot of money without any risk, but just putting an email down. You know, you're essentially getting a free raffle ticket on a basketball team, and all you got to do is vote. So I would definitely say keep an eye on us come March and April. I would say 90% of my roster for Team 23 is set in stone. There's one or two guys I'm trying to figure out. Other than that, just wait until April when it all begins again. Awesome, Mike. As always, thanks so much for the time. We'll do it again soon. And until next time, everybody, as always, take care, like and share. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the games.